Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturdays at 5.30 and Sundays in person and online at 10. We look forward to connecting with you. On the first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene found herself in the garden weeping. You see, all her hopes lay in a tomb in that garden. From Mary's first moment of encountering Jesus, she knew that something was different about him. See, Mary's first encounter with Jesus was when she was possessed by seven demons, and Jesus, in his compassion and mercy, liberated her and set her free. And from that moment on, everything changed for Mary. She followed Jesus everywhere. She was one of the the people who financed his ministry, who, who helped him be able to do all of the miracles that she witnessed. See, Mary was one of the closest disciples of Jesus. See, she saw Jesus heal the blind and feed the hungry and free other people who had been possessed by demons. You see, for Mary, Jesus was not just another teacher. He was the person she had placed all her hopes in. But then Jesus was arrested. And while all the other disciples fled and hid, Mary stood by Jesus' side and watched his trial. Mary Magdalene was there during the torture of Jesus. She stood at the foot of the cross as her Savior, her hope, her dreams, breathed his last breath. Mary was at the foot of the cross when Jesus cried out, it is finished. And you have to imagine for Mary in that moment that the cry, it is finished, felt like the death of all her hope. Life has a way of killing our hope, doesn't it? I mean, if you ask any kid what they want to be when they grow up, you you can come to the conclusion really quickly that we're all born with this innate ability to hope for the future and for better things. In fact, there's some kids down here. Any kids want to shout out what you want to be when you grow up? Anyone want to be? A scientist? Love that. A what? Famous soccer player. Yes, that's right. A teacher? You want to be daddy? Oh, that's so awesome. I love that, Charlie. Oh, Charlie's my buddy. He just goes, yeah. (laughs) You ask kids what they want to be when they grow up, and then they have dreams and hopes and things that they long for. I once met a kid who wanted to be a dinosaur when he grew up. Like, how great is that? When the truth is, sometimes life has a way of killing those hopes and dreams. I mean, kids grow up to find out that they can't actually be a dinosaur when they grow up, as cool as that would be. Sometimes the loss of hope, the death of hope, sounds much more serious. It sounds like the doctor who gives you the diagnosis. It sounds like the person that you loved and planned on spending your life with says, I don't think I love you anymore. Sometimes the death of hope sounds like, I'm sorry, but they're no longer with us. You see, sometimes life has a way of taking our hope. The things that we long for, the ways that we want the world to be, and it seems like life just says no. 
Mary finds herself in that moment as she comes to the tomb, this place where all her hopes and dreams have gone away. And as she comes to the tomb, she, she's overwhelmed with this realization that something horrible has happened. See, the, the, the stone has been rolled away from the tomb where they lay Jesus, and his body is missing. Mary comes in this moment to the tomb thinking that it's been vandalized, that something has been, gone horribly wrong. And, and as she stands outside of this tomb in this despair and this total loss of hope, she sees two angels appear. And they say, woman, why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord, and I don't know what they've done with him. You see, all of Mary's hopes, all of her dreams are gone in this moment. But suddenly, as she's sitting in this despair, she's talking to these angels that have miraculously appeared. She has this realization, this kind of creepy feeling, the creeping feeling, knowing that she's not alone in the garden. And so she turns and she sees Jesus standing in the garden with her, but she doesn't recognize him. Whether it's through the grief of tears that have blinded her or something supernatural, she does not know the person that she's been looking for. And Jesus, seeing her in this state, says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And that question from Jesus in this moment is a loaded question. Because you see, it's not the first time that someone has gone looking for someone in a garden. If you go all the way back to the very first pages of Scripture, you see the story of creation and fall. You see the story of where God created a garden of paradise, where he invited humanity to live with him in that garden, to, to partner with him, to cultivate that garden into life and flourishing and blooming. He invited us into harmony with him. And we chose to reject that plan. We chose to go against God's will. We chose to, to define good and evil for ourselves. And we call that moment the fall. And in that moment where we chose to go our own way, where we rejected God's invitation in the garden of paradise, everything went horribly, tragically wrong. See, the fall is the moment where the curse of sin is introduced into the world. And the curse of sin is as cosmic as pandemics and war and famine and as intimate as the pregnancy that didn't go to term or the marriage that began in bliss and ends in betrayal. The curse of sin is the reason why we weep at gravesides. the source of all our death, all our despair, and all the devastation that we see in the world. And what we're told happens in that moment when, when Adam and Eve and humanity rejects God is that God comes looking for them. Genesis tells us that God used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve in perfect communion. And, and suddenly after the fall, God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, but Adam and Eve are nowhere to be found. They've hidden themselves. Because the curse of sin is that we feel this desire, this, this need to hide ourselves from others in God. We're ashamed of ourselves. And so God walks in the garden looking for his children and says, where are you? Because of the curse of sin, Adam and Eve are, are expelled from the garden, excluded from this paradise. 
And since that moment that God came looking for us, we have been searching for him ever since. And and please hear me, I'm not saying that we all just walk around in some existential crisis, just like longing to find God somewhere. I think most of us are actually pretty good at numbing ourselves to that ache. I mean, we have Instagram and Netflix and Amazon to help with that. But we've been searching for something. We've been playing a game of hide and seek, wondering what it is that will fulfill us since that moment. And so we keep searching. But the good news is that God did not leave us in that state of searching. God chose to come and enter into the state that we found ourselves in. That that God chose to, the God who had created everything in the beginning chose to become one of us and live amongst us in a person named Jesus. And and this person named Jesus, I I think you would like him. He was pretty radical. And, And he showed up on the scene and he hung out with fishermen and tax collectors, which feels like an odd pairing. But if you think that's weird, he also hung out with prostitutes. And this little misfit band that Jesus pulled together, he went around with them and and he did crazy things like like healing people who were afflicted and, and curing diseases and feeding the hungry and turning water into wine. And said wild things like, in me, The kingdom of God has come near. I'm the one who will take you back to the garden you've been searching for. I'm the one who can make a way for you to be in relationship with God again. But like Mary in the garden, we didn't recognize him. And the God who told us he could take us back to the garden, we crucified and killed him. And Mary in this moment finds herself standing in the garden in this moment of despair, with Jesus, the person she has been looking for, asking her, who is it that you were looking for? Has anyone ever played a game of hide-and-seek with toddlers? Anyone? Love playing hide-and-seek with my three-year-old daughter, Camden. Um, Not to brag, but I am pretty good at hiding from her to the point where she can't find me unless I want her to. And it's really not a brag, because if you've played hide-and-seek with a toddler, you know that to, like, hide from a toddler, you have, to, you have to, like, keep your feet out underneath the see-through curtain that you're hiding behind for them to find you. Like, all the places that you want to hide that are, are the good spot, if, if they find you there, then for the next hour when it's their turn to hide, that's the exact same spot that they will hide for the rest of the day. And you have to pretend that you don't know where they are. My favorite part of hide-and-seek is when Camden finds me and she says, Daddy, I found you. And I'm sitting there like, did you though? I was pretty much like saying like, over here, over here, like I'm hiding over here. (laughs) You see, when we play hide-and-seek, the the point is not for me to hide from Camden. The point of hide-and-seek is for me to be found and for me to find her. See, some of us have been looking for God, wondering where he is in our lives, hoping that we will find him. And and I wonder if we are having a moment like Mary, where we realize the God we've been looking for has actually not been hiding from us that hard all along. See, what, what Mary realizes in this moment when Jesus asks her is, who are you looking for? Is that God has not been hiding from her. She turns in the garden And we're meant to understand that that God has never left. That the God we've been searching for, we are the ones who ran away from. We are the ones who hid from God. 
He's always been there in the garden, ready to welcome us back home. But Mary isn't quite aware that that's all that's happening to her yet in this moment. In fact, John gives us this weird detail where it says that Mary thinks Jesus is the gardener. Like she sees Jesus and just thinks he's some day laborer, like taking care of the flowers and the bushes and the trees. And think about that for a moment. Mary is in the garden looking for Jesus, the person who has freed her and liberated her from demonic possession. The the man that she stood under the cross and, and, and watched as he died. She can't recognize him in this moment. She just thinks he's some gardener. What is going on? I think John is trying to let us know that there's something deeper going on in this story. That that, that Mary may be mistaken and that she does not know who Jesus is and, and does not recognize him, but she is not mistaken in that Jesus, God, is in the garden once again. You see, John has done this masterful job throughout his gospel where his gospel begins with the words, in the beginning. And we're told in John 19 that that the place Jesus was crucified was a garden and that in that garden was a new tomb where they buried Jesus. You see, throughout his gospel, John is weaving together this idea that garden and death and crucifixion and ultimately resurrection are intertwined. What John is saying is that Mary in this moment, as she turns and looks at Jesus, is actually seeing a new reality. She's seeing new creation. God has gone back to the garden and is making all things new. That Mary in this moment is waking up on the first day of creation. That she is seeing an entirely new reality where resurrection is possible. I love the way that G.K. Chesterton puts it. He says, on the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. And in varying ways, they realized the new wonder, but not even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in the semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden, in the cool not of the evening, but the dawn. See, the idea that Jesus is the gardener in this garden is the idea that that Jesus has come to initiate and begin new creation through the power of his resurrection. That, That in Jesus walking out of his tomb, death and decay and hopelessness and despair are all reversing in their cycles. But, but resurrection isn't simply a doctrine to believe. Resurrection is a, is a reality to be experienced. And Mary is about to, to experience the reality of resurrection. She's about to step into this new reality, completely understanding what has happened to her and what has happened to the world. And, and it happens in a moment of clarity for Mary, where this person she didn't recognize, this person she mistook for the gardener, simply says her name. Mary. And when Jesus says her name, everything changes in an instant. And suddenly this person that she didn't recognize, this person that she thought was simply the gardener and could maybe help her find the person that she thought had died, becomes the person that she has been looking for all along. 
And she recognizes Jesus and is overwhelmed with the, the reality that the person she watched die, that she laid in a tomb, is now resurrected standing before her. That Jesus is risen. Which, let's be honest for a moment. I, I understand what a ridiculous statement that is to say that someone has risen from the dead. I feel like I'm a fairly rational person. And I think I'm humble enough to know that I'm, I'm never really the, the smartest person in the room. Like, I've never spelled the word restaurant right on the first try, okay? Just like never. And it usually takes me like two or three tries just to be able to plug in my USB cord. Like, like anybody ever get it on the first try? Kids. Yep, kids get it. I don't, okay? So I know that I'm not like the smartest person or the most rational person. But, but I understand, my, my point is that I, I, I still think that I have something to say, and I, and I understand what it means, how crazy, how insane it is to say that a person raised from the dead, that 2,000 years ago, a peasant man died and came back to life. It's not lost on me how outrageous that statement is. And yet the, the resurrection is not just a doctrine to be believed, it is a reality to be experienced. And the truth is, if you're here today and you think, man, I just, I can't get there. The resurrection, that seems a little too far-fetched. That's fine. I'm not actually here today to prove to you that something happened, that, that this resurrection moment was an event in history, although I, I believe there's historical evidence to make that case. Because the truth is, I could lay out all the facts and I could give you all the evidence and you may not change your mind anyways, because facts don't change our feelings. It's moments of clarity moments where you saw the person across the room and you knew that she was the one you wanted to spend the rest of your life with. Moments of clarity where you were sitting around a campfire with your buddies and you were talking about the future and you realized in, in a moment of clarity that you had to leave your corporate job, that it was crushing your soul and you had to, against all logic and, and everything that made sense, you had to step out and take a risk and try something new. It's the moment of clarity where you decide that you're willing to move across country, leaving your family behind and take on a new adventure. It's the moment where you walk into the home and you realize, oh, this is it. This is the place where our family was meant to be. See, most decisions in life that matter don't come about from left brain rationality. They don't come back from some mathematical equation where we plug in all the parts and come to a place where we say, yeah, this is the right thing. Most of the time, the decisions we make come from moments of clarity. And for Mary, in this moment, as she sees the resurrected Jesus and hears him call her name, it's that moment of clarity. That's the moment that Mary finds herself in. Jesus says her name, and suddenly she realizes that nothing will ever be the same again because Jesus has risen from the dead. See, I think there are two types of people that often come to Easter. And one of those types of people that come to Easter is, is the, the person who, who comes because they may be, let's just be honest, you're kind of dragged here. Someone told you that you had to come. Or maybe you just felt this desire, this, this kind of need to show your face because that's what you're supposed to do on Easter. And you're really grateful for the good coffee and the, like, bite-sized cinnamon rolls that are delicious. But, like, let's be honest. You're, you're just kind of passing through. 
And, and I want to say to you, if that's you this morning, you are so welcome here. Like, we want you here. We're so grateful that you chose to celebrate resurrection with us this morning, even if you don't believe in it. But what I also want to say to you is that I am praying for you today that you would have a moment of clarity with Jesus, that, that you would have a moment where you recognize and see the person you have been searching for your entire life stands before you, resurrected, and inviting you into the spaces that you have always been longing for. I pray that you have that moment. Because you see, there's the other half of the room that's here today. And for us, Easter's not just some fun excuse to dress up in pastels and like fancy dresses, right? Like, like it's not just that we needed something to do before we go hunt for Easter eggs and like find melted chocolate in plastic cups. For us, this is the main event. This is why we celebrate Easter, because we had a moment of clarity in our lives where Jesus called our name, and in an instant, everything changed because we experienced the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we experienced the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything changed for us, and our life was never the same. And as we come to celebrate Easter, we're not just celebrating what Jesus has done for us and the, the life that he offers us. We come celebrating that resurrection means that all death, all despair, all decay are all coming undone in the name of Jesus. That resurrection means there is a life after death, but life after death starts now. And that resurrection is the hope of our marriages that are crumbling, of the diagnosis that, think, that we think we can't get past. That, that resurrection is the space where Jesus is cultivating new life and bringing things that have died back to life. That is what we believe when we proclaim the battle cry, he is risen. That is what we believe. You see, the cross of Christ tells us that sometimes it gets dark in the middle of the day and sometimes the God we believe in feels far away and dead. But the empty tomb tells us that we can believe in the sun even when it stops shining and that we can believe in God even when he seems far away and dead to us. That if Jesus has risen from the dead, then he can resurrect all the spaces in our life that feel like they're beyond hope. That is what Mary encountered in that garden that morning. And that is my prayer for this church today, is that we would encounter the resurrected and risen Christ. But the story, if you can believe it, gets even better than that. Because there's a garden at the end of Scripture where John is given a vision and an image of what is to come. And the, the same John who recounted the story of Mary in the garden with Jesus tells us of a garden that is coming to us one day soon. And listen to what he says about this garden that will be the end of all our despair. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. That is what we believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is where we have placed our hope. And that is why we celebrate and sing his risen name today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I ask that if there is anyone here today that thinks they are beyond hope, that life is beyond hope, God, I pray that you would breathe resurrection life into them today, that they would experience the reality of resurrection, they would know you are a living God who has come here today to meet with them and call them by name. God, for those of us who are walking through this world and feel the weight of despair and death and the brokenness of the fall. God, I pray that we would cling not only to the cross, but to the empty tomb. The promise that you did not leave us in our searching, but promised to come for us and to deliver us and take us back to the garden we were always meant to enjoy with you. God, may we live in the reality of that resurrection this morning and in all the days to come. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.